This is Coda Radio, episode 192 for February 15th, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is the excellent Mr. Dominic, who you know you got to give him credit. He shows up even when it's snowing. Why, yes, it is. Sir Dominic. Hello, Mike. Привет, comrades. Hello, hello, hello. By the way, I don't know if you heard, but the orders come down from Putin. Windows off all machines. All. Actually, not even a joke. You can watch it. I, I quoted it in Linux Action Show this Sunday. The quote is, it is like a wife seeing her man with another with another woman. She <laughs> <laughs> really is. You could He can make an oath, but trust has been lost. And so now they have to switch away from Windows. <laughs> Comrade, comrade, what have you done? Wow. Only, only Russia, right? Only Russia. So, yeah, well, hello, Mr. Dominic. How is the snow over there on the East Coast? Um, it is like a Siberian winter. Yeah, it's 50 degrees and overcast here in, a, in the Pacific Northwest. So it's not beautiful like it normally is, but it's just, you know, acceptable. I did have some serious rain this morning to drive in. So I guess there's that. There, there is that. I'm pretty excited today. We've got a packed show. Uh, I think maybe we have something to talk about. Just maybe. Something just happened to fall into our lap. Kind of some breaking news we'll discuss this week. And then later on in the show, I'm going to put Mike to the test to see if the Coda Radio program has been ignoring VR and why. And then we have an interesting email follow-up as well as why you need to start writing your code not for extendability and long-lasting, you know, but for deleting. (laughs) And then on top of all that, you know what I have right here in my hot hands? What's that? Brand new laptop. Supposed to be the perfect Linux laptop. Project I crowdfunded in December 2014 showed it's up back in the past. Wait, well, yeah, yeah, showed up on my doorstep last week. I present to you the Librem 15, ladies Woo! and gentlemen. Yeah, I actually have the Librem 15 here in studio. And so, Mike, if I know you've been wandering off into Ubuntu and Linux territory recently, so I, got, I have. I'm fired up. Well, look at that, look at that, baby. That yeah. looks like a nondescript laptop. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 essentially it is essentially. Uh, a MacBook uh, shape with uh, no uh, markings. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. So you know, I'll wake it up there for you. Look at that bad boy. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. The one issue, as you, I don't know, can you, do you hear that? Yeah, I hear that. That's, that's a healthy amount of fan you got going there. Yeah. Is that? Always like, on, constantly. Yeah. Yep. Ooh. So we're, I'm working on that. I'm working on that because, uh, yeah, see, yeah, that's no good. Yeah. That's... yeah, it has more than one USB. I'll give it that. So uh, it does, let's see, it has, uh, oh, there it goes. One, two, two, USB 3, it looks like, and two USB 2, perhaps. Uh, that's not terrible. I mean, now, did no, your all, desire for this machine dampen, you know, in the two years since you ordered yes, it? Yes, yes. Although I'm happy to have it, uh, but yes, considerably. Right, right. I ask considerably. Um, so, Mr. Dominic, you know what else dampened my enthusiasm after I bought it? I was really fired up, too, for a while. Was the uh, Samsung Galaxy S6 Edge Edition. I thought, you know, they had done... Yeah, I said, I think it has an Ethernet port. Right. Let me check. Does it have an Ethernet port? 
Oh my god, it doesn't have an Ethernet port. <laughs> oh my god, it doesn't. It doesn't have. Oh. It doesn't have an Ethernet port. <laughs> it looks like it has a USB-C port for charging, though. That's weird. Yeah, it has a regular power port and a USB-C port. That's interesting. But, oh, my God, it doesn't have an Ethernet port. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyways. You'll be okay there, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going right, to freak so out. The Samsung X6. Let's just move Yeah, so I got the S6, and I thought, I'm going to get a really nice Android phone. Uh, sure. But they never got around to releasing Marshmallow while, while I was still using it. Uh, I've passed it on to Rekai now. Um, and uh, now, they're, now they're shipping. No, no schedule outside the S6 range, but starting literally today, like a couple of hours ago, right. uh, some phones are starting to see the update. Uh, so happy Valentine's Day, one day late, everybody. And uh, remember, okay, so Marshmallow was technically announced last May. It was a technically announced last May. Now we're starting to see it on... The S6 devices. And this led to an email we got from Files Copying, and I wanted to bounce it off to you and see where do we go from here? Because he says, Mike, I know in the past you've complained that Samsung devices can be difficult to develop for, but yes. I don't remember you suggesting an alternative Android phone or manufacturer. Is there a phone that is least likely to have dev problems which would result in more stable app performance? If not, yeah. what Android phone do you want to see people using and why? Thanks for the interesting discussions every week. Well, anything by HTC because they, they just need the help. Um, it's an act of charity to buy an HTC phone. <laughs> Sad. No, so my issue wasn't that they're hard to debug, debug with, right? You just have to plug it in and sometimes install their weird little driver. Um, that's only on Windows. It's that... In the past, right now, this problem has largely gone away. I'm seeing like on the S5 and the S6, there used to be some really weird stuff with like the Samsung launcher, right? Remember, remember TouchWiz? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it, so those were the kind of problem I was thinking about, in particular, like the S3 when it was, you know, the hugest phone on the market. One thing I noticed, not from a development standpoint, but I definitely noticed from a support standpoint <clears throat> is the settings menus were generally quite different. a bit different in yeah. the Samsung devices. And so from a tech support standpoint, uh, that was troubling. And also it meant that different Samsung devices could have different iterations of TouchWiz. And so there could be differences even on the same model of phone. Right. And, and Samsung used to occasionally lock things down that wouldn't normally have been locked down. Um, and of course, you know, when their colors don't render the same way as everybody else's, that's a problem. So, so uh, you know, the other thing I look at this and I think, geez, Marshmallow announced in May. Nexus devices have had it yeah. for a while. Some of the motor devices have had it. From a development standpoint, this problem still hasn't gotten any better. You still have a you have this issue too, where it's not just the base OS. Is this still a problem, Mike, or do you think you know this has sort of been normalized out by different solutions and and things like that? Like, is this still a is this well, still really a problem where yeah. them, them not shipping Marshmallow on time and having different uh, UIs on top of Android? Are we still really struggling with this, or is this sort of a problem of a couple of years ago that now we've kind of normalized past. Well, you know, it, it's never been better, right? But it's, for instance, remember a couple of years ago you had straight up compatibility problems, and to a large degree, you know, attrition and the uh, Google support libraries more or less have dealt with that. I mean, there are still some compatibility things you have to think about. You might end up, you know, if blocking your way through the, your code, checking for Android versions once or twice. But it's not the same kind of um, hellhole it was, you know, let's say in the 2.2 to 4, mm. 4.0 transition or 2.3 to 4, whatever that transition was. Having said that, the UI differences, the design language differences, particularly between material and not material, so let's say the 4 family versus 5 plus, yeah. is um, 
you know, it's pretty tough. I'm working on an Android app right now, and it, I'm trying to have this weird halfway place between material and not, because I know the reality is the majority of people who download this are going to be on 4.4. I mean, that's what all of my, from clients, from, you know, backpoints, from every other app I've ever done, 4.4 is still really dominant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the stats and, bear that out too, just from Google. Yeah, so I'm trying to kind of have it both ways where, you know, the app is using material conventions, but the colors are a little more muted, right? A little more in that, um, I forgot what the old design language was called, but you, you, everybody who's ever seen Hollow? Was, no, not. But no, no, Hollow it was, was, a, it was. It was after Hollow, yeah. 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 So, and I'm not sure. I'm actually considering just doing a total overhaul and going full material because it almost looks like, the problem is I find really material-looking apps look out of place on older phones. And older-looking apps look outdated on material phones, right? Mm. Um, but I don't know how you solve that. And that is kind of a, you know, I remember when compati- like straight-up compatibility was a problem. Yeah, you know what's interesting about the S6, too, is uh, it actually has a theme engine. And you can re-theme the entire look of the UI from their theme store. And it, I mean, it really it changes so much of the Android UI. I don't know if anybody, maybe people out there aren't familiar with this. If you haven't had, I don't know how long. I think they've been doing it for a little while. But in the S6, you go into the Samsung store and they have a Samsung theme section. And I, I set up like a sci-fi theme on mine, and it changes everything from the lock screen to the launcher uh, to icons to the way menu drop-down menus look. It, it gives everything an overlay of sort of mine was sort of like a sci-fi looking computer UI. Right. Well, and to, and to be totally fair, my uh, my carry Android phone, which is an S5, I'm actually using Microsoft's Aero Launcher because I think it's super pretty. Mm, I've been meaning to try it. So it's go, really good. So I yeah. think files copy. I think where I think what his angle was files copy. And what his angle was is, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna start writing apps. I'm gonna write them on the Android platform, and I'm gonna try sure. to sell them to a general public. Should I go Nexus? I think is really what he's asking. Do you think yeah, if you were going to do that, yeah. like if you're going to have one phone to rule them all, you just go Nexus? And do you build for M? I mean, I mean that that's where oh, my I, I, I'm not building for M. <laughs> so that's the problem. So then why and go think, Nexus? And and to be fair, I you know I've been a little derelict in this. I have not even bothered looking at M because I know it. You know, for this project, it doesn't matter, hmm. right? Because the way the app market is today, you launch an app, it either does well or it doesn't. Right there, there's no oh I'm going to leave it on the store for nine months and see how it does. Hmm. So this this app I'm doing targets four, four, and five, and that's it. Right? I mean, it'll work on M, obviously, but it's not using any M specific functionality. Um, in terms of like the Android phone you keep on your desk for debugging, it it really doesn't matter. I mean, you can't go wrong with the Nexus. Right. I like the. Uh, I re- really. I still think the best Android phone was the Nexus Five. I think the Five X is a pretty good alternative, or a yeah, pretty good upgrade to the Five. I think it's the 5X, you know, with the 5X you get slightly bumped specs, uh, you get USB-C and a fingerprint reader that's actually a supported fingerprint reader. The reason I'm using the Samsung S5 is, one, it was one of those free deals from the carrier, which, you know, oh, always yeah. helps. Yep. And two, you know, the major- for client work, right, it's kind of a different world. The majority of people are carrying Samsung phones, mm-hmm. or at least people that I have to care about that are going to sign off on milestones, things like that. Uh, so... It just behooves me to be closer to what they're carrying. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I also have like three Nexus phones, you know. Mm-hmm. I have a, a four that I haven't turned on in a year. And uh, So know, far, couple. the 5X and uh, the 6P will be the only Nexus phones I haven't gotten. Yeah, I haven't yet either, but I'm, I'm, 
I'm wondering because I am not particularly unhappy with the S5, but I don't. I saw the the Nexus. Uh, what is it? The, the Huawei one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The six P. Yeah. That looks really nice. I actually would yeah. probably want to get my hands on yeah, that. Yeah. Chase up. Chase has that, and uh, and he you know when he comes over for unfiltered, he sets the he sets that boat down on the table, and uh, he can you know. It, it has some serious horsepower behind it, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I still find that the iPhone 6S uh, just runs circles around it in terms of performance. But Yeah, so I have, I'm on one of those weird carrier plans now where it's like you're going to upgrade your phone twice a year mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to give the phone Yeah, back. that's a new thing they're trying. That's interesting. So I'm not sure I want to give up the Samsung yet because it's just yeah. – I just need it. I talked to a guy at scale – and I can't right. remember how he's doing this, but the way he swings it through the carrier is he gets a phone every six months. Yeah, apparently I, you can just do that. I mean, my carrier is T-Mobile, and I can just walk in tomorrow. Oh, yeah, I think his might have been, yeah. And, he, and, right. yeah, and that, is, that is intense, yeah. and that's it. You know what? That is playing to the to – the, this stuff is just developing so fast. And on, on the surface, it almost sounds crazy, but I actually think there is legitimate value in sort of riding the edge. And when, when technology is – I remember when – I remember when when PC building was really a thing, and we were transitioning from 386 to 486, oh, yeah. and then to Pentium, right. and how fast that era, how fast that progressed. And every if you built a new machine every year, you were going to see major gains. You know, maybe from 200 megahertz to 400 megahertz. Like that was a big deal, and that's where phones have been at for years now. And they're, they're, they're slowing, especially with Snapdragon stumbling over the last year. But they're going to pick it back up, and it's going to they're going to double down on it. And it, it's not crazy necessarily to if you can find a way that works for you economically. I think it's worth it. Well, the way T-Mobile they just charge you. you every month for the phone. Yeah, right? well, so I, I mean different things for different people. I'm not a big fan yeah, of that, but uh, I, I'm not a huge fan either. But the you know I find myself doing a lot of Android work. Mm. And sometimes I would end up in these positions where people would ask for stuff that, you know, like I – the example, right, stylus support, which I could theoretically do. Mm. But if I don't have a device with a stylus, I can't. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but again, if you want to support HTC because, you know, they are a charity case. I want to support HTC, and we're going to talk about VR later because I think HTC Vive yeah. VR is the is the winning solution. But if they don't make it as a company, it's never going to get anywhere. But speaking of abysmal failure, Chris. Oh! Uh, so I did a tech screen last week. Uh, okay, a tech screen. A tech yes. screen. Let me see if I can figure out what this is. Uh, a tech screen. That sounds like when you're, like, getting screened to see if you have something. So, like, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if Google knows what it is. Define tech screen. Yes, I, I tested positive for hepatitis iPhone. The candidate screening tool for yeah. technical. Okay, so oh, tell me about this. That. I don't know what that is. Oh, so okay. I, don't, I don't know. what you just googled. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, so I did like three rounds, right? Okay. First round, easy peasy. Second round, easy peasy. Third round, the question of it was for a uh, contract for a very a uh, large iPhone consulting place to be a subcontractor. Uh, was it? Was the test? Did the test involve Swift? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been much worse. So I have never done this before, where you get on like a hangout and you code with somebody on the other end. First of all, we've been doing this for a oh, long yeah, time, okay. and that has never happened before. So I'm already like, what possible purpose could this serve? Because uh, you know my problem. 
process involves headbanging to Britney Spears and Boy George. Of, so. of course. Everybody, like everybody's does. Like everybody does. So not exactly conducive to the whole hangout thing. Um, but you know what? It was Objective-C. It was iOS. I've done a lot of iOS. Um, you know, got a lot of fairly known brand projects under my belt. Really not that worried, right? Sure. I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, I'm yeah. like, all right. Yeah. And, I, and I passed the first two rounds in, you know, easy peasy. But the first two rounds were kind of the pub trivia style. Okay, you know? sure. Okay, so one, Hangout, initially I can't connect. So we're, we're starting strong, Chris. Ooh. You know, actually, you started Hangouts, man. You just started, I'm like, oh, no. You, cause, you know what I think when I think Hangouts? I think bad audio. Yeah, and I, so I've never done – remember, I have never done one of these before. Okay. So I really know what to expect, right? So I get in there. You know, there's like two minutes of chit-chat, which is fine. I'm like, oh, is this just like a video call? Because I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then I get sent an Xcode project. Okay, no problem. How, how, how are they are – they, are they doing like some sort of like link? Like they're giving you a link to download a project? Yeah, I think it was like a drive link. I drive like link. this. Okay, so this is good. So you're getting links in chat. You got video going on. You're downloading oh, stuff I while video stuff. chatting. Always a good idea. Code locks up twice during the process. But uh-huh. I wasn't even go there. Um, I decided not to use AppCode for this because I was kind of – you know, I'm a little rust. I'm not exactly there with AppCode, and I didn't know what I was going to be asked. I thought maybe I'd have to do some storyboard stuff. Boy, was I wrong. Uh-oh. So one problem is that I've been doing iOS for so long that mm-hmm. I kind of have my ways of doing things. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. And I found out that, that is to the exclusion of alternatives. Ah. So let's – I have a whole little three-question thing here, right? The base problem was that this firm – is very, very big. I mean, by headcount, by number of developers on an iOS project, I don't – if what they said was true, which I have no reason to doubt them, huge, huge amount of developers on one huge. project. And, and so by that extent, I would imagine they may have their own culture, if you will, or so way of doing their, things. Their own technical challenges that only exist when you have that many developers working on the very same Very true. Project. Of course. Right, right. So that, that's where we get into trouble here. Um, so, okay, there, you know, here's this project, and it's, uh, you know, it's an Xcode project, right? And I, forget, the exact question wasn't important, but it was like, you know, okay. go try to do this. Okay. And I'm sitting there, Command Shift O, trying to open a storyboard file. Mm-hmm. I'm like, huh? Like a gentleman. Okay. Well, let me see. Is there a nib? No. And the guy's just got a smirk. Oh, because he's watching you do this, of course. Yes. Oh, that's awkward. So, and he's a nice guy. But they do not use any of the Apple layout tools. Oh, okay. Because they've been around a long time, probably. No, because uh, he explained it to me at the end. The problem is with teams as large as they are on, you know, because everybody's worked on large teams i'm sure but usually if you have a 20 team uh 20 person team in my experience there's only like two or three ios developers mm. so really you can just deal with it right they have like 20 ios developers working on one thing wow the new the new world so the storyboard files which are just giant blobs of xml do not merge correctly yeah which sure Steve and i've experienced yeah yeah yep yeah that but, does not surprise me at all but for them it's such a huge problem that they've decided that they simply don't use the tooling, like, at all. But how are you supposed to really know that as an outside person? Like, that doesn't so, seem fair, it, exactly. Well, I, I got to 
I'll be honest, I was a little butthurt at first. I'm like, well, that you know, that's dumb, right? Like, <laughs> I could totally do this, and you know, if you go to Barnes and Noble and buy advanced iOS development, it's going to tell you about storyboards, yeah, or zips. I mean, it's a little lame, but the the rationale he gave me at the end of why they care is because one, they have sort of a philosophical dislike for storyboards, oh. in that they. You know, it does all the stuff for you. It does all the layout tools, and it generates code for you. Um, but the problem is that code that generates, you therefore don't write. So if you're not using storyboards, there's this entire realm – a nib by extension – this entire realm of code that you will have never known that you needed to write. Uh, let me give you an example, a really trivial example. If you have a UI table view cell and you want to use a reuse identifier – I'm sure at one point I knew this before there were boards. You have to have that as a property on the class that's the tables, uh, the table views delegate, right? But because of the magic that is nibs and storyboards, all you have to do is type in the screen string into a little mm. box mm-hmm. the cell, and it does it for you. But if you're not using storyboards, you have to link it all together. Right, right. So it's just an area where the tooling hides it from you, right? Um, you know, there's all these default things that have to be set that, again, nibs and boards do it for you. So, you know, I was very um, – I was left that two-hour session with quite a, a, a bag of mixed feelings, right? Mm, one, I bet. One, I was a little embarrassed because I just bombed this. Like I knew I – like, I was trying to be nice, but I was like, dude, I don't even know why you last – we did this for two hours. Like – it was obvious that it wasn't going to. to make Did it. you say that? Did you? No. Or are you just thinking that to yourself? I was just kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> because it was, and there were other questions, and, and I, there were whole portions of it that I got right. Mm. But it was so obvious that the thing that mattered the most was: Do you use storyboards, and can you not use them? And I'm sure I, you know, could not use them, but I'd have to learn it, right? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, does that is that bombing though? Who have you ever hired because they knew everything they needed to know to do the contracts job? Contracts are different though, right? No. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Contracts you got to get and hit the ground running. If I think if I was going as a W two, I, yes. I probably would have done better. Yeah, yeah. But no one wants to invest in a contractor. Yeah, that's true. Which makes a ton of sense. Yep. So, you know, I left really liking the guy. I left feeling a little embarrassed but then i left them i was like is that a really like is that actually you know is this a good way to do things and i spent the remainder of the night like reading all these crazy blog posts these crazy apple developer forums of people who are are arguing back and forth and the reality is okay so there are some big companies that are doing things this way simply because the damn storyboard files do not merge correctly in git okay but it's a ton more work. <laughs> uh, is that is that an understatement? <laughs> so you know, totally not advisable unless you have this problem. Right? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So then I'm like, okay, well that you know, then I started feeling a little butthurt. I was like, you know, that really is kind of a lame uh, way to disqualify someone. But it got me to this question of, so if you're if you're going into a project that has a problem that you've never seen before and it and it's kind of a self-inflicted problem, right? Are you wrong or are they wrong? Cuz I you know, I, I Oh you know, man. Oh, this is a good question. This is 
because I, you know, logically working through it, I'm like, well, you know, this is a self-inflicted wound. But then again, if they're billing hourly with 20 iOS developers on a project, I'm doing the math. I'm like, God damn, that's a nice problem to have. Even though, and I came to the conclusion of, even though it would be ridiculous for me to adopt their practices and for what I'm doing and what I would imagine like 99.99% of the people who listen to the show who do iOS development are doing is the right thing to do for them. They are not necessarily crazy, right? Because if you think about it, they're a consulting shop. They are almost certainly billing by the hour. Mm -hmm. So the overhead involved in doing this, they're just passing on to their clients, right? Mm -hmm. And the really the really setup shops actually do literally pass this time on to the clients. Right, and and it's true that the the you know I've had problems working with one other developer on a storyboard and having to merge it by hand. It's totally true that these storyboard files of two people edit them or and oh, I can imagine. I if- love your question though. So can I zoom out just for a sec because yeah. uh, you just reminded me. I have two stories. Uh, I have – I worked for a company that was making uh, – they, they started out making the uh, the original adware, malware – crap software, monitor what you do and make money off it. Before we ever had a term called spyware, before Steve Gibson ever called anything anything, there was a company out there called – and you guys, maybe maybe it's on – it might be on Wikipedia. Google this. I'm going to tell you about it. It's called E-Acceleration. And I worked for E-Acceleration out of Paulsville, Washington. That might help you narrow down the search. They yeah. they transitioned into a different kind of company. They still did they still did all of their software marketing via late night TV ads, Ooh. where you would see ads on TV for software that'll speed up your PC. That, that this was them. Right. Uh, and and I, I don't think I've ever told this story on the show before, but I did interview years ago for Google, and Google okay. had one of the biggest concept questions. At both these companies threw these concept questions at me, and 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 I, I, I so when you're when you're ready, I want to tell you those stories because man, <laughs> you reminded me of those, and those are great stories to share. Well, and it sounds like they'd be right up the same alley. The, the the level because of who Google is, right? They have problems that you know Chris Lass LLC does not have. Right, right. They there it is. E stop sign. Oh my god, the chat room oh, already found god. it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oof. Oh man, that brings back memories. That's a bad time. Yeah, it's all one site, all one site. You know, it's funny because uh, one, it shows how much the iOS dev market has matured. That you can have teams that large now. Mm, Yeah, exactly. That was that was when I first thought. When you said that, I was like, wow, this is a new. This is really kind of the new reality in the sense of their their teams are so large that some of these tools aren't scaling for them anymore. It's like that's not a problem Apple traditionally had. Well, and yeah, and Apple tools, I think, are very much geared towards the one or two guys working on a project kind of yes. thing. Yes, because well, so, that's that's the grand myth, right? Right, right. Uh, so I'm not sure where this leaves. I mean, I, I you know, I just thought it would be an interesting story for you know folks in the audience. One, everybody strikes out on a tech screen every once in a while, right? Oh man, my Google interview. <laughs> Go it ahead. went bad. Okay, all right. So, uh, okay. So, you know what we should do? We should take a moment. We should thank Linux Academy for sponsoring mm. the show. Really, these guys make it possible for us to be here. And you know what? I think big picture, they probably have a, they had a better idea than I did. I wanted to talk, I, when, when I started the Linux Action Show, the genesis of that show was I was doing a bunch of really cool stuff with Linux that was saving my ass at work. I mean, and, and really changing the company. And I was like, God, I got to talk about this Linux action show. That's where the name came from. I mean, this is really something. And uh, podcasting was where I went. 
But Linux Academy, they kind of had the same thing. Wow, this is really changing things. But instead, what they did is they partnered with educators and developers, and they built the Linux Academy platform to help other people learn about Linux. And then all of the technologies around Linux that you can go make a buck off of or make your career better or just solve a problem. And then they created Linux Academy. Way better idea. Super smart. And now they got a really great staff. They're really charging full full steam ahead. Go check them out at linuxacademy.com slash coders and support this show. linuxacademy.com slash coders. You have to go there to support the show for us to keep doing this show. You have to do that. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And I invite you to learn more about them. It is really a great opportunity for you. I've made a lot, a lot of effort over the years to work with advertisers that are genuinely a great fit for you guys. And I think when you go take a look at their features at linuxacademy.com slash coders, you'll see things that jump out at you that are truly valuable. Step-by-step video courses, tons and tons and tons of them. Downloadable comprehensive study guides. Instructor help on these tough, tough topics when you actually need them. And I say tough not in the sense of like they're hard for you and I. I mean tough in the sense that a lot of online education platforms have these courses as like a checkbox as one of their features. But they have no freaking idea what they're actually talking about. It's actually tough to know what you're doing. Have seven plus distros you can choose from. Automatically adjust the courseware. Automatically adjust the virtual machines that spin up on demand as part of the courseware. Like actually doing all of that and then knowing what the hell you're talking about, that's the tough part. And that's what Linux Academy nails. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Keep track of your progress as you go. They have everything on OpenStack. You're gonna, you want to get into Docker? They got that. Python, Ruby, Android development, anything around the Linux stack. And if you don't have a lot of time, they have solutions for you as well. Availability planners. You go in there and say how much time you have. I got time on Wednesday. I got time on Thursday. And I got a little time Sunday evening. Automatically, it will generate courseware that matches that. Send you email reminders. Set up quizzes. Check in with you. See how you're doing. And then there's the community. Stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members and always growing. They have new live labs available as of last week, new YouTube lessons online, an iOS app update, and all of that. And if you're a Linux Academy member, you might notice some of these names. Kurt and Fred and Jonathan, Oliver, all recently passed Linux courses. There's a whole bunch more for folks who've passed AWS courses, those who've gotten jobs as part of Linux Academy training. It's it's a good system. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring... The Coder Radio Program, linuxacademy.com slash coders. All right, so I'll start with Google because Google is the was, I think, before e-acceleration, although this is all so long ago that I can't actually really recall it all. But what I do remember is I had a job at the time. So that, you know, when you go in to do a job interview and you already have a job, that, that totally changes your approach to the interview because, like, you're not as desperate. You don't need them, right? And you can you, you do want them. You want them, but you don't need them. And so you can go in there with a little bit of you need me and I need you. And we both are kind of on the same level now. And so that's how I entered the Google interview. And man, was I very quickly <laughs> flipped on my head. Uh, it, I am a pretty confident, smooth, easy to talk to guy. Um, and I can pretty much be in any situation that you could conceive of, and I can have a good conversation with just about anybody, and you're just going to have to believe me, but I have been in some really weird situations and still got along great with everybody. And so when I get on the phone, typical Chris, hey, how's it going? You know, we start talking, and I'm in a car. I remember that. I'm parked at my, pr- at my current employer, and I went out into my car, and it's 
it's go it's one of these moments where the car starts to feel extremely claustrophobic. Like <laughs> I'm in the smallest room in the world because they start instead of asking me questions about Linux and system administration and my work experience, they start throwing concepts at me. Oh. Like complicated sort of like scenarios, like, you know, Almost like uh, uh, what? What are those like? John and Susie are catching a train. There's another train yeah, coming. Yeah, 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 These yeah, kinds yeah. of things, and I'm, I'm, I was completely thrown because I did not expect that. Like, I was a good systems administrator. I was really at this point in time. I hadn't gone into contracting yet, and I had just got done building a kick-ass system for a company, and I was like really, really at the top. And I was like, I was expecting questions about Linux, and I was expecting questions about networking, and I, instead, I got like all of these really weird storyboard questions, and it. Really really threw me and I kind of got kind of offended and I so I stumbled a little bit and they eventually said I don't know why you thought this would be a good fit and I said to them in response I said I was expecting questions about my technical ability not these conceptual questions like trust me I'm not a dumb person it's just so you went for it huh <laughs> I well I was like I just I want you I just want you to understand that like I was expecting to talk about my technical merits and abilities and they're like well we at Google believe that your Aww. yeah that your technical skills are like a limited time thing and that you're ability and so basic by the way they have been barred from doing this type of interview practice this was something before there was they literally are not allowed to do this anymore but it before that came down this was it was very condescending and i was i remember yeah. feeling afterwards i felt yeah i felt like i'm not i'm not i'm not as good as i thought it was i'm not at the top of i'm not and then i remember thinking well, who the, who the hell are they? Like, what are they asking me these questions for? The people asking me the questions weren't even – they didn't have any technical expertise. They were like an HR middle layer type thing. And uh, I had a really bad experience. And when Google called me back about six, seven months later for another position, I just said, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh... – yeah. And then, OK, so at e-acceleration <laughs> – so at e-acceleration, because they were in Paulsville, Washington, I actually went to their office to do the interview. And uh, – so the guy who ran the department, nice guy, great IT director, starts writing up scenarios on the whiteboard. Oh, boy. And oh, I, boy. And I actually, I actually said, you know, uh, sir, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind answering actual problems you run into recently and telling you how I would have solved them. Because I'm not actually good at these completely – because here's, here's the way my, my – my, to, to, a, to, a, to a complete and utter fault. If you don't give me something real that I can, I can actually have an interest in, like – like you're made a bullshit story. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you, but you're not that awesome, and it doesn't actually get my attention. And so if you don't manage to capture my attention, and this is probably a deficit of mine, I can't really wrap my head around it. I can't really commit myself to it. You give me an actual problem that actually happened to you, guess what? Now you've got my interest, and I'll solve it for you. And so I told him that in a, in a really nice way, and he shifted gears, and I ended up getting the job. And it it worked. It was really interesting. It was a good job for a little while to, to really solve some interesting back end problems. Right. Uh, but it was it was one was like this weird. Like I felt really bad afterwards, and after the acceleration one, I felt really good because I had, I felt like I had clearly expressed myself and said, "Tell me really real problems you've had." And I felt like they responded to that, and it actually like we ended up having a good relationship. He and I, the director. And even after I quit, we still managed to stay in contact. And when he went off in somewhere else, he tried to hire me to work there, and it was really it was cool. Uh, but yeah, it was two I, very I, different experiences. Yeah, I, I uh, we've all had our dalliances with Google, I think. But it's it's very different, I would say, right? In terms of going, first of all, why doesn't Google do that anymore? Are they not allowed to? 
Right. Because they can do things like it, but the uh, too discriminatory or whatever. Uh, the so they would have. They, it wasn't just that particular type of questions. It was like the requirements they had going in before they even screen a candidate were, uh, were, were too – I can't remember. But essentially it came down to a little bit of discrimination, a little bit of you're not actually allowed to ask some of those things and a, and oh. a little – yeah, and a little yeah. bit of everything else. And so they, they were stopped. I can't remember the details of it now, but I remember later on thinking, wow, I was actually affected by that. Yeah, I – you know, I – on the one hand, like going for contracting jobs, I, I kind of understand the somewhat, I would argue, unnecessarily high, high bar. Mm. But if you're going as an employee, if you're going for a W-2, it definitely seems, you know, one, you're not paying contracting rates, right? And supposedly it's supposed to be a long-term relationship where you invest in the company and the company invests in you. So why... I've never understood the crazy interview process thing. I've never like, and maybe this is a deficit on my part. To me, knowing if you if I don't want to hire someone is the fastest thing in the world. <laughs> I, mean, I think I, I think we've talked that. about it. You know, we talked about right. it over the last couple of weeks. Like hiring an employee is the riskiest thing you do for your business, but at the same time, like well, it, the you know, the problem is, you know, why? I'll tell you, I'll t- Mike. I'll tell you right now. The reason is is because the people doing the hiring are five levels abstracted out from the from where the job's going to be. And so they have to go through these stupid corporate made up mythical dances yeah, so that way sure the next person true. accepted to the tribe matches the tribe even though they they have no idea. They don't they can't ask the right questions so they yeah, have I'm to come sure up with I'm not sure that's true. I mean, I have a buddy of mine who who was a contractor and is now uh, going into W2 employment and he's been interviewing at, you know, startups in New York, right, as a developer. Um, he's doing like like he's looking for like an intermediate iOS developer job. He, you know, he's trying to make the change from 1099 to just a full-time whatever. The stories he tells me about, like, the, for, and these are startups, right? This is not Google. This is not Facebook. This is not, you know, Amazon.com, anything like that, are ridiculous. Like a five-person panel interview. Mm-hmm. I've done those. With whiteboard questions for mm-hmm. a dev job that pays below market rate. I mean, I understand, you know, like verbal questions. Like, hey, explain to me how table views work. Talk mm-hmm. to me about, you know, you know, uh, 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 core data. Talk to me about a time you've had some sort of problem and how you solved it. But, you know, insert insert Uber for why, right? <laughs> Startup. I mean, how how you know how many people really want to work there? That that, and maybe this is just me being totally. I think it's partially in those cases ego. So I, I'll be honest with you. Like, if I decided I wanted to get a job and I was entertaining a startup, I would just flat out refuse to do that. Yeah, I've, I'll, because, I'll you know abbreviate my my brief story because I've probably told it three right. times on the show. Uh, I also ages ago interviewed at Microsoft when they were building out their Linux division, mm. and um, I was doing the Linux Action Show at the time, and I thought, geez, this is going to be a weird thing, but maybe I could actually make a difference. And right. I so I, I I entertained the idea, and I went down for two interviews. And when they called me back for my third interview, because I think at the, I can't remember that, no, this has been so long ago now, but uh, I think I, I recall the team at the time was six. I was either going to be the sixth or the seventh member of the team, and they had three managers, and they had to have me drive down to Redmond three different times so I could interview the three different managers of a six-person team. And at that huh. point in time, I said to myself, uh, I can't 
do That's this. That's a healthy work chart. Actually. Yeah, I, I cannot. I cannot work. I cannot work yeah. with three bosses because I'd been through the ringer with that, and uh, and so I declined Microsoft over and over and over again after that because the problem was is I'd gotten through two of the managers, so I got pretty far in the interview process, which meant I was applicable for lots of different jobs at Microsoft at that point. And so when I when the when the jobs would come up, I would show up on their board and I would get a call. And I was like. I'm not working for you guys. I don't think you understand this. I'm not going down there. Uh, it was tempting for a brief moment, but I, I do not regret it at all. And I, I guess I could have gotten benefits and a good stable employment at a well-known tech company, uh, and I would have been working on Linux, which would have been pretty cool. But it just, it just, just, it reeked of there was something wrong there with three managers for that amount of people. And you can okay, sometimes but, pick up on it during the interviews. And sometimes it comes across, in my opinion, as ego. Sometimes people are just like, they think their 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 S don't stink when it's, <laughs> it does stink a little bit. Oh, I mean, for sure, right? It, and, you know, I, I, I have to relay this story. So the same guy goes on an interview for a startup, right? They have no iOS developers mm. whatsoever. They had a contractor who straight up quit on them. So already that's telling you that yep. you know it wasn't worth it for the contractor. And who knows if they you know if they paid them or whatever. Um, it's my easy though, regardless. In, in my experience, contractors don't generally quit as long as the checks are on. They time. like to get paid, right? We're we're big into that. You know, if the checks are late, we might start looking at other options, but tend to be pretty loyal as long as we're paid. Uh, we're like that guy in Firefly, the big dude. He so he gets there and straight up the guy says, "You know, I don't do any Objective C, I don't do any iOS. So uh, let's talk about Java list arrays." Nice, nice. Now, this is exactly what he came in there prepared to talk about. This guy is a self-taught boot camp iOS dev, so he he knows nothing, right? He he knows how to do some iOS stuff. He's competent at an intermediate level. He's focused though. He's focused. And he doesn't have any kind of like CS degree, uh, any any kind of background. So if you give him, say, hey, I need you to do this table view, link this up, show me how you do it, he can do it competently well. If you ask him stuff about theoretical, you know, and, and to be honest, I couldn't answer the question he was asked. Like, oh, which is faster in this case? Um, who cares? You're a startup. You probably can use this. Hell, well, let's write it to a file on disk and read it every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have 10 users. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, this is why I don't can't work with startups. By the way, my my normal position of yeah, but you're not Twitter. Like they, that, they like the seriously, filter. they seriously in a lot of cases think they're going to be like I, I've I've had yeah. the same. They think they're going to be the next World of Warcraft, the next Twitter. Uh, I worked for one um, that uh, was uh, going to make the next social network for uh, Christians, and it was and they were okay. taking an, an open source product and just reskinning it, re-CSSing it, and their idea was if we host this on some Linux servers and we get some people to add some content to it, and of course I was the guy maintaining the back end and, and fixing stuff when people screwed up the HTML and all this, and, and of course deploying the application, they were going to have the next Christian Facebook. And I remember thinking to myself, like, uh, I'm going to give this my best, but I don't – I think Facebook is going to be the next Facebook, I think. <laughs> so – Pro, pro tip, if you are if you decided you don't want a job at a startup and you just want to have some fun, uh, <laughs> three things you ask to, to really annoy them. Uh, so w- what's your burn down like? Uh, like? Like how's revenue? Right. <laughs> That's the first question. Uh, you know, 
Oh, oh, I actually, I remember with this startup, I actually, we had the line, sorry, paychecks are going to be late, but the fund, the VC funds, are they're, they're writing us another check. Like, it was one of those, like, paychecks delayed a couple of times. It, it, it happened a couple of times with this yeah, client. Yeah, I've had that happen. I, I, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing, too, if your clients are startups. You can get into those weird, like, horse trading situations where their VC, for some weird reason, didn't fund them for that month, right? And they decided not to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah. So question number two. So how many daily active users do you actually have? And question number three is really just a follow-up of that. And how many of them are paying users? You know which one's a bad sign? When you don't get around it, you can't really ask that question. But oh, for some it. reason, the service is offline. Like something happens and the oh, server goes oh. down or the database is offline and, and the page the site hasn't been working all day. And nobody says anything. That's usually an indication they don't have a lot of users. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there, there, I have to say, there's like a whole warning list of red flags. Not that you shouldn't go work for stars. I mean, one of the nice things, you know, if I were to like just hang it up and go get a J-O-B job, I probably would go for a smaller firm or another or an yeah. agency. There's advantages. Because I would want to work from home. Right? And that would be part of the deal. Like, listen, I I just, you know... That's the deal, right? You guys don't pay exactly market rates. I want to work smaller company. You got a lot of opportunities to make an actual dent, right? And assuming they're not totally insane, their product may not die in six months. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very oh, true. Chris, it's been a, it's been a rough uh, first segment here. Jeez. Well, Whoa. let me ask you, Mike. Uh, are you a VR denier? Because we haven't talked about VR pretty much no. at all. I'm being taken to the woodshed here. Yeah, and uh, here's. Kind of where I think VR could go. Uh, I don't know so much about the $600 Oculus headsets that require a beefy PC or the Samsung Gear VRs that require an S6 and the VR is only so, so good because you have to have an S6 and the $200 headset. But what about something like this? It's essentially Google Cardboard, but in a nice plastic, okay-looking visor built by Mattel. You know, the, the toy company? Mattel has right here for you a $40 visor that you snap your smartphone into, and it's essentially um, Google Cardboard, but with uh, actual lens adjuster, um, you know, a strap, some design. This could take anyone anyone who has a smartphone from the last three years and 40 bucks could actually use this for VR. Do well, you Chris, that us out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think something like this could make VR reality where developers you can know, start going, oh, okay, now I got to start maybe making an app for this? I don't, I, I just don't get VR. Um, have you ever, now to be honest, have you ever tried it? Yes. Uh, a buddy of mine makes his own Google Cardboard out of wood, like the visor things. And he has one of those Samsung phones and, and, and beautiful vacation pictures. Like you know, the, I I could see it for a car trip. Your you know your passenger can put this on and they get and they get a cinema movie three D movie experience that is really good. I mean, I hate to say it, but porn. Okay, sure. I or, mean, or that, really, that even just even kind of a lot of media, a lot of media consumption would work on this. Um, I, I sure, I, I guess right. I I uh, so I've I've I have tried uh, the Samsung Gear VR. Google Cardboard, and Oculus uh, DK2. And uh, the Oculus DK2, I did have a bit of a like a, like a, a spiritual moment, if you will, where okay. I was in the studio one moment, and the next moment I put the headset on and I also put earphones on, which makes a huge difference with VR. 
and uh, I was transported to a raft on an ocean. And, you know, it just – it was really well done and all of a sudden I felt – I really felt like I was there. Like it was very – I was like – I felt calmer. Like I was like, oh, I'm just – I could see like the beach off in the distance. It was a nice – it was a nice ocean. It was a cool raft and I could walk around the raft. I could climb the ladder and I – and it just it, – it was actually very impressive. Um, and, then, and then the other thing with Gear VR – which is Gear VR, the big limitation of Gear VR is it's limited to the GPU of your mobile device and the battery capacity of your mobile device. Uh, but the best 3D movie experience I've ever had, even compared to like going to the theaters, was with Gear VR because VR obviously is 3D and so you load a 3D movie on there and it is it is actually extremely compelling. And it was lightweight enough, I have it uh, actually right here, where I could just take it on the road with me and I could watch a, a, even a, a 2D video and just be in my own world even though I was just sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, and I could just totally zone out and watch some, watch some YouTube or watch, uh, watch some Google Play or whatever and just – I mean it was great. It was really great. And so I actually, I actually wonder if maybe there couldn't be more here than there is say with, uh, with Android Wear or Apple Watch. Uh, not to say there's a lot. But I think there might actually be more with VR than there are is than there is with the watches. You think that's possible? I mean, it, it could be, right? I, I could just be an old fogey on this, where you know, I just don't get it, right? Maybe younger people will wear these and watch movies like you're describing, 3D movies or whatever. Um, I, I, I think maybe something that would really get me going is if you could have a really good flight simulation. Mm. Or but or space sim, you know, oh, somewhere Chris. you're flying around controlling yeah. some. Oh, Chris, yeah. Chris, yeah, you and I are going to go through the Stargate, and I promise you, <laughs> there will be no dial home device. <laughs> We're gone. We are screwed. <laughs> I don't need to simulate space, Chris. We're already there. Uh, you know where? Also, uh, this could actually be really nice. Is um, I used Gear VR to tour uh, parts of Paris. I've never been there. Yeah, so I could see that, like a Google Street View kind of thing. Yeah, where, yeah, like, yeah. You know, actually, I'll take it back. If you're thinking of like moving, renting a house, or buying a house or something. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah, like, sure, real, man. Yeah, that'd be like, great. A real estate application, right? Yes. If you're like, if I was a realtor, I would actually have this done. Hey, call me. Um, just like somehow map all your houses and list. Oh, here's a virtual walk. And there are all, there's already cameras that work over Bluetooth or Wi-Fi that can take 360-degree, you know, snapshots of a room. They got multiple cameras on them and they're using what it's it's a little um it's a little dome-looking thing and it's got, you know, an array of cameras, but it's an array of like uh 8 or 13 megapixel smartphone cameras. So the whole device only costs like $125 cuz it's just okay. using and it you can put it in the center of a room and it can take an entire VR snapshot of that room. All right, I could see it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be something? And uh, to document, yeah, like, I would love, to, yeah. for example, Mike, I would, I would, I would love to have a VR snapshot of this studio in 2016. So that way, in 2025 or 2030, I could look back and like sort of feel nostalgic about it because everything in here is going to change. All the technology is going to change. That would be very fascinating for me. It, it, just from that perspective too. So it sort of takes like the the family projector to the next level. What about like a VR like engineering drafting table type thing where you're somehow manipulating and I mean maybe this is getting closer to the HoloLens idea, but mm. you're mm-hmm. you're you're actually Elon Musk has something just like this already. 
he there's a video on YouTube of him showing his own personal Iron Man like workstation oh. where you're manipulating the yeah go look it up I, I can't even describe with it with gestures and whatnot yes exactly with yeah. gestures but he's like walking through it it's almost like it's almost like he can like open it up and like if you're like if it's it's what he uses for rocket engines because he's crazy and definitely going to cause the end of the world google sold like a few million of the google cardboards which is amazing no i mean it was cool when my friends came back from vacation it was super cool i i strapped on his crazy hipster wooden version that he made with his phone and it was really nice to see like i saw somebody at scale who did a 3d printed version of uh like a so you can snap your phone and that's pretty cool too (laughs) that's pretty neat hey you know before we go on uh, I know uh, that it's just around the corner for you, so I thought maybe we should uh, just take a moment to recognize it here on the show. But uh, congratulations to Noah and Sarah. Uh, Noah and Sarah had a, a baby girl uh, last Woo! week. Yeah. And so uh, if you haven't watched this week's episode of Linux Action Show, he shared the story about how it actually all came together. Because it was a little earlier than they were expecting, oh. about a month. And uh, so uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a typical story of some – because you know, Noah himself is a uh, – is, he owns his own business and he does IT contracting. And of course, Ooh. they're in the middle of a huge transition. Right, right. Yeah. So it's a yeah. good story he shares. Uh, so congratulations to Noah. And uh, which reminded me right after that happens, like, oh, yeah, Mike's uh, not too far around the corner. Not like, too far, not too April, long. end of April ish, oh, somewhere yeah, around in there. April. Yep. Man, oh, man. Well, you know, what we'll do is we'll have a little celebration party for you in Linux at Linux Fest Northwest. You won't be able to make it. But we'll I have know. a party in your in your honor. honor. Well, yeah. some bourbon. There you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Okay, some bourbon. All right. Yeah, you can. Maybe we'll have you Skype in for like a few minutes and say hi or yeah, something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get into the rest of the show, we're almost to the end, my friends. But a couple more things, and some that are a bit provoking. But first, something that's extremely provoking, perhaps even controversial, because they're so awesome. That's DigitalOcean. Simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get a great, fast system in really no time that can be used for testing, development, or production like that. In less than 55 seconds, you can have your own rig. $5 a month is where they start at. Five freaking dollars a month, 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD in every machine. It's SSD, and you can go. You can start at five dollars a month, and you can go all the way up to crazy. You can go full crazy over DigitalOcean in the entire way SSDs. So the five dollar a month, five twelve megabytes of RAM, twenty gigabyte SSD, blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of mother f and transfer. A terabyte, and each plan stacks it up. In fact, I would go over to DigitalOcean and take a look at the pricing. And remember, if you use the promo code Coder Digital, you get a ten dollar credit. So keep that in mind when you flip it over to hourly. And you can get, look at this one. This is the one, the most popular plan. Two gigabytes of RAM. Yes. A two-core processor, 40 gigabytes of SSD, and three terabytes of outrageous transfer. Three cents an hour. <laughs> three cents an hour. And if you use the promo code Coder Digital, you're going to get a $10 credit. So you can just do some stuff for a while, and it's not going to cost you anything. Coder Digital, and it supports the show. But really what I love about DigitalOcean, part of all of the speed. They got 40 gigabit E connections to their virtualizers. They got SSDs throughout. They got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, Toronto, London, Germany, right? That, that's the physical end of their speed. The practical end of their speed is their UI. It is slick. It is fast. It is powerful. It doesn't limit you, but it is intuitive. And on top of all of that, they have a straightforward API that they iterate as part of their platform that you can build on, on or 
you don't even have to build on. Use some of the open source code already out there. It's just free. You can grab it and start getting productive already. Applets for your desktop, smartphone apps, libraries for your favorite language. All of it's already done. And they also have really good tutorials. They have one up right now that I would recommend you go check it out because this is it's getting ridiculously easy now. You go deploy a DigitalOcean droplet. Wow, this is incredible. You go deploy a DigitalOcean droplet. You could already do it with the LAMP stack or you could do it with the Nginx stack, whatever you want. But, I mean, that, that you can do one click, which is just blowing my mind. And then you combine it with this guide. Like, here's an example. You could do, and they have one for Nginx, too. Uh, how to secure Apache with Let's Encrypt on Ubuntu 14.04. And it is, it is mind-blowingly straightforward now to go get your own rig, set it up with whatever web server software you want, and actually have a legitimate SSL cert now. Minutes. Things that used to... This used to take me a month to do. Okay, this this work used to take me a month. You can literally do it now in minutes. And they're giving away the tutorials. They're not even DigitalOcean specific. They work for any platform. Just go over there. And if you try out DigitalOcean, use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. Coder Digital is what keeps us on the air. Okay, Mike, I like this one. This one feels good to me. As somebody who lives in what you might call today a tiny home, <laughs> this is what we call it. You know, it's a small space, intentional small space, so that way you only have just the things you absolutely have and nothing extra. No clutter, no trips to the furniture store just to grab something cute, nothing. Same with the code. This is my philosophy. Programming is terrible.com writes, write code that is easy to delete. Not easy to extend. Every line of code written comes at a price. Maintenance. To avoid paying for a lot of code, we build reusable software. The problem with code reuse is that it gets in the way of changing your mind later on. The most consumers of an API you have, the more code you must rewrite to introduce changes. Similarly, the more you rely on a third-party API, the more you suffer when it changes. We've talked about that. Managing how the code fits together or which parts depend on others is a significant problem in large-scale systems, and it gets harder as your project as your project grows older. If we see lines of code as lines spent, then when we delete lines of code, we are lowering the cost of maintenance. That's a clever idea. I want to read it again. If we see lines of code as lines spent, then we delete lines. Then when we de- when we delete lines of code. We are lowering the cost of maintenance. Instead of building reusable software, we should try to build disposable software. I don't need to tell you that deleting code is more fun than writing it. To write code that is easy to delete, repeat yourself to avoid creating dependencies, but don't repeat yourself to manage them. Layer your code, too. Build simple-to-use APIs out of simpler-to-implement but clumsy-to-use parts. Split your code. Isolate the hard-to-write and the likely to change parts from the rest of the code and each other. Don't hard code every choice, and maybe allow changing a few at runtime. Don't do all of the things at the same time, and maybe don't write so much code in the first place. I think this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read on the show, Mike. It is beautiful. Um... I mean, he goes on for like a huge – oh, hi there, e-acceleration. He goes on for like a huge, huge amount to, to continue the point. But the, the overall concept I like. 
build something that is easy for you to replace, not something that's going to last forever. What is that concept risky to you? Because you're kind of a pragmatic guy. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, I, I kind of wish more people had the mindset of, yeah, we're going to eventually have to refactor this in, in terms of software, right? Because really, software is never done. It's just kind of shipped, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I would say, you know, that this argument can be taken to an absurd extreme of, oh, well, it's less code if I put everything on one line and use all kinds of crazy language hacks to do it. All uh, you know, Ruby yeah. or Swift, Bash, <laughs> Bash, right? But you know, I, I, maybe lines of code is not the metric you want to count. Uh, certainly, uh, yeah. I mean, on its face, I agree with it. Obviously, any argument like this, you can take to an absurd point where mm-hmm. it's just stupid, it becomes a dogma. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I kind of liked I, it, and the whole post. It is it is a Tumblr, but the whole post is uh, really quite good, and um, I read it over the weekend. I, I would recommend it. Right. I mean, it, it really cuts to the heart of the issue that the value in what you're doing is not in the lines of code themselves, right? It's in what it does. So, and and this is probably something for employers and, and customers to really wrap their heads around. Refactoring code does not mean that there was some defect. Right. Mm, it just yes. means that your needs have changed. Can I can I expand on that for a second? Because uh, uh, we talk so much about contracting and, and doing your own independent work. But the reality, the flip side is when you work at a place for a long time, like uh, six, seven plus ten years, and you are working on one of the pieces of software there and you are the one that made some of those decisions five years ago. And now five years into it, you have to refactor that. You have to replace that. A lot of times when that conversation comes up, it's really hard to say uh, – because if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't sell it right, what you're, what you're compelled to say is, well, five years ago I didn't know as much. I made a mistake and now we need to redo this to make this all work. And I'm really sorry and I'll try to make it work as fast as possible. I'll try to get that done as fast as possible. I just – I didn't know back then uh, that you – know, uh, so I'm sorry. And – I want to double down what Mike is saying is that is that don't do that to yourself. Yeah, don't do that. Even if that's true. Well, it's partially true, but the reality is also needs have changed and you you have gotten better as a developer over the years. And that is an asset to that company. And now that you know more, now that you are more of an asset to that company, you want to refactor some of those things to make their software better. And there is no shame in that. And so approach it from that approach because that can be a really challenging conversation to have. It's not only that, though, right? If there's, you know, five years ago in this scenario, you may have been getting crap from a manager you know, every day on your stand-up. What are you doing? Oh, I'm still working on this ticket. Oh, okay. Mm. You know, and his favorite pet developer has closed three tickets, even though those tickets were super trivial, right? And yours is not. Many managers will see that as, well, my my favorite rock star guy got three things done today. You have been working on the same oh, yeah. thing. I've definitely been in that where you it, they right. simply go by the dashboard metrics from the ticketing mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. I've been there, and it's awful. It's, and you know what you end up doing is you game it. Well, it, I've had situations where I found out that that's what you have to do. Right? The reason the rock stars are rock stars is because if he sees something big, he breaks into twelve tickets. <laughs> he does them, yep. You know, yep. like that. Yeah, uh, that's exactly which, right. Which you could argue is a better way to do things, right? Because, you know, is he a bad guy? No, he's happy. He doesn't have someone breathing down his neck. His manager's happy because when he goes to his manager, 
look at my guy here. He got 12 things done this week. And, uh, you know, everybody, everybody's feeling good about themselves. But And he can – he has the data. I mean he has the data to say, look at this. Look at what I got done. And well, they, uh, let, let, let's say you're doing Agile and you have story points, right? If you have 12 tickets each at one or two story points, you know, that's very believable. And most managers are never going to look, you know, they're not going to question that, right? If you have one ticket at 30 or one ticket at 24, that's going to raise a whole bunch of red flags because from their perspective, that's a black hole of time. Yes. You're just going to charge me 30 hours. Right. And I'm not going to know where that went. I mean, it, it cuts both ways, right? Because, again, employment is different than consulting. I mean, that's a problem in consulting. But I would argue if you're I would argue though that if you're in employment too and you have an internal tracking system like that, it's sort of the same game. It's well, just the hourly, stakes are maybe not as high. Yeah, an hourly employment's a hell of a lot like consulting too. Yeah. 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 Salary's a little little different. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a good thing. Are you so, ready for a question from Andrew? Actually it's not really a question so much as it is a follow up. We talked about Ryder last week, remember? Yes. From, well, can I just my Ubuntu update real fast? Ooh. I would love that. <laughs> See, Chris doesn't read the doc after I edit it. Oh, I, oh, you know what I do is I take a snapshot and I put it in my Markdown preview tool. And then I'm out. I'm out. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> not read it. That's okay. Yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit about the rough edges. So it has been going fairly well. Now, I'm running it on a desktop, a very crappy Dell Slim Inspiron. Um, sorry, my Rode Podcaster arm is falling down on my face. They're not right very now. good, right? I mean, after, like, oh, after 192 episodes, they just start giving out. They just give out. Um, so there's been some rough edges, uh, particularly rounded corners on applications. I keep seeing these little what? What? Yeah, these little black triangles. And in fact, I have. Oh yes, I see those too. I, 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 I see the black triangles. Um, it turns out it's an issue with Unity's default GTK theme. I ended up using the, the GTK Arc dash dark theme, and that problem just went away. Probably because the corners weren't rounded anymore. You know what's funny is because I got this new laptop. I just installed uh, Ubuntu last night. I'm like, because I'm going to compare it to some other hardware and I want everything to be exactly the same. So <laughs> I just noticed the triangles and I'm like, what is with these? Is nobody? And you know, my first thought, and I wonder what your first thought was, has nobody noticed this until me? Like, why yeah, are these still here? Like, have I been on the Mac too long that this is making me crazy? Uh, I'm not even on the Mac and I notice it. So yeah. it's not just you. Yeah, so uh, – and then the app I actually noticed it in was uh, Core, Board, Core Bird, the Ubuntu uh, Twitter oh, yeah. client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so again, I'm running 1510, right, just so we're all on the same page here. It has been relatively good. Installing Postgres, still terrible, no matter what operating system you're on, still awful. Um, other than that, you know, getting a rail stack running on Ubuntu was a lot easier than on Mac. Oh, good. Getting now, there have been a few. You know, I would say most of the weird stuff has been UI stuff, and I'm not sure if it's because I'm trying all these third party. Like I've been making an effort to try third party native Linux, like GTK apps, and I don't know if it's because of Ubuntu's default theme. Well, here is the issue with Ubuntu. Uh, so I'm a big fan. I think I think it's really. I'm glad you found GTK Arc. Uh, yeah, Dark. When I switched to Arc. All, like all of these yeah. problems. That's right. my favorite too. Um, right. And I'm so that's a good theme. You know, the issue is, and this is why people kind of get on Canonical a little bit. Is uh, 
when they went off and did Unity, they've over time they've they've been they've since then they've been really slow on adopting um, current GTK, and uh, so I I you know I like one of the huge issues now with fourteen oh four is they're on a very old version of GTK, and uh, of course you're on fifteen ten, so it's better, but <clears throat> it's not it's not still not current. I think maybe um, I wonder if we could tell real quick. So this is a this is the this is the this is the this is the really kind of this is the unfortunate problem that desktop Linux has for developers. Uh, so I'm going to search for Ubuntu 15.10 GTK version and see what Google tells me. Because uh, so I hear, of course, blah blah blah, Arch current, blah blah blah. Uh, I am. Let's see. I'll tell you what version of GNOME I'm on, which would include that version of GTK when I get there. But uh, so, and if anybody in the chat room knows, that'd be good too. But uh, I know it's slightly older than than current, which is a problem. Right. Uh, so it looks like. Well, it's uh, 3.16, it looks like. So 3.16 and 3.20 is almost out. Uh, 3.18 is currently stable. That's what I have. Right. Uh, and 3.16. So the issue you have, <clears throat> and this is my personal opinion. Um, now, my personal opinion is influenced by watching the desktop Linux. I don't know anybody who's watched desktop Linux closer than I have for the last decade. Like, I mean, I I have obsessed over desktop Linux every single week. I have two podcasts about it, and and I reviewed every just about every ma- every major distro and every side distro out there that actually matters has been reviewed on Linux Action Show. So we've watched this very closely for a decade. And in my personal opinion, based on that experience, I will say that GTK since starting at GTK three point twelve. Every single release has been extremely, extremely worth it and has gotten way, way better. And so when you – it doesn't seem like a big deal right now, but they are just going through a period of extreme improvement uh, uh, outside the normal uh, 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 type of improvement. And so when you're at 3.14 or 3.16, right, right. You're, you're missing out on quite a bit. And so the, this is the fundamental issue is Unity has been sort of pegging them. At an older version, in this case, it looks like it's GNOME three point sixteen, uh, and 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 on, and and on top of that, they're actually backporting even further things like Nautilus, the file manager, and GTK Edit, or G Edit. Um, so that's a bit of a that's kind of the downside. Now, of course, all of that's going to change in Unity eight, and that's down that's about a year away. But uh, I okay. I this is sort of a the unfortunate. So of course, there's not really a great solution. So I use Antigross Linux. Um, and I use the GNOME 3 desktop, but you don't like GNOME 3, and so you kind of have this sort of don't yeah. look at it as – so what I look at it, I don't look at it as canonical going off and doing their own crazy thing. I look at it as as them delivering you a product, and in their opinion, these are the versions you need for the best product. Okay, okay. Yeah, so the other, the, the other issue I, I had um, – I'm trying to think of a good way to say this, but I'll, I think I'll just say it bluntly so it's clear. You know, I, I, I'm making a distinction between because it's all software, right? But between like command line software stuff I use for you know work, mm-hmm. and let's say apps or applications, whatever programs, you know, things that are GUI versus command line, right? Sure, yeah, just, that's, that seems like make, a pretty solid separation. Um, you know, let's use Core Bird as an example, but I've, I saw this several times. Installing an app is awful. Um, for instance, I installed Corebird, and then I had to install a bunch of dependencies that were in the README file, and I had to do it all by the command line, which is fine. Really? I, I, know, I know how to do it. But... Now, okay. 
So how did you come about Corbett? Because well, if- well, so let me just yeah let me let me just finish. I, I that's actually a funny story, but let me just finish how I got here. Um, you know, I would like to do some work on the desktop. I don't know if it's Mac or, or Linux yet or both, but. Um, one thing I like about the Mac is if I write an app and I want to sell it to you through a website, you give me your four ninety nine or ten ninety nine, whatever it is, right? And you get a binary that you download, and in two clicks you install it. You type in your password because it's a third party developer, right? I can definitely see if I were to release something on Ubuntu uh, or Linux as a whole, and, and maybe less sophisticated users had to jump through these hoops, they might go ahead and just yeah. Uh, you know, demand a refund or or do something. So let me tell you. So here's how it's going to work in the future. And then you okay. and then and and this is I just watched uh, Shuttleworth demo this on stage at scale. Um, and there, we've been talking about it on Unplugged, but there, Snap packages. What Snap packages are is you create essentially a um, a job file. It's almost written in plain English, so it's not like some fancy schema markup you got to learn. Uh, you essentially say, uh, my packages live um, at this repo. Maybe it's like a Git page, right? I, I have packages here. Uh, you need these things installed. So install these things first. And uh, I want you to pull all future updates from this Git repo or this FTP site or this HTTP site or whatever. And when the user downloads that snap package, that's sort of going to be – they'll download a file. They'll double-click it. It will run the installation, and then it will read your instructions. Okay. And essentially from then on, you could, you know, you could, you could dictate how updates go out and things like that. It's going to be much simpler. Where they're at, so with Corebird right now, the problem with Corebird specifically is it's, it's, it's really ironic that you, <laughs> that you decided to use Corebird uh, because Corebird is following the bleeding edge of GTK development. Yeah. It is an example of a really well done GTK three application that has yep. that has you know uh, client side decorations where things are included in the header and of course go figure Ubuntu not following the bleeding edge of G- not even following the current GTK development so Corebird is specifically uh, probably one of the more trickier examples you could have you yeah, could have run I had into to install yeah. quite a few <clears throat> and 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 I think if I don't know, did you if you go with adding a PPA and you you sort of uh, quote unquote subscribe to their repo I would have imagined it would have automatically pulled in all the dependencies for you uh, I don't know I ended up having to compile it <laughs> okay yeah so there so, are and that's the problem is like depending on and I've I've witnessed this when I've switched people over to Linux is depending on your Google search vector you get completely radical results uh, so different I results it, I, you know i was trying to like take a survey of what's out there right so i was typing in stuff like best gtk apps best unity apps best ubuntu apps and i came across an article by uh, omg ubuntu and they had like their top 10 for 2015 or whatever it was and of them only a few i thought were relevant to what i'm looking at mm-hmm. uh and in Corbord, it's not. And here's but. where I think uh, I think down the road, and hopefully Canonical gets here with Ubuntu. But right now, one of the reasons I would say, if you're looking to experiment with that kind of things, Anagros might be better with the GNOME desktop. Is for example, on Anagros, once you install the package manager, like my favorite is, it's just called Packer. You okay. just you type in you type in Packer s Corebird or whatever the exact package. You have to find out what the package name is. But you type in Packer s Corebird. Packer automatically downloads all dependencies. 
it will go if it if it if there's a binary it installs it if there's if it's up on <laughs> GitHub if it's up on GitHub it downloads it downloads it from GitHub builds it for you and installs it like it makes it makes experimenting with current software much better so Ubuntu is a, a 15 and especially 16.04 is going to be a great workstation OS for working uh Antergross in my opinion is a much better desktop to see what's available for Linux because you can do KDE desktops, you can do GNOME desktops. You could actually even install Unity on Anagros. Anagros is based on Arch, but what they've done is they've sort of prepared it for you in a way with some sane defaults like, you know, right. uh, that make it nicer. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Corebird is a great app, but it, is, it, is, it, is a, it exemplifies the Ubuntu soft spot right now. So is there no way for me to, you know, fa- set up like a, a little fancy Stripe storefront on my website and have you pay $5 for an app and then you download it and you get like a, a binary, right? If you statically linked everything, you know, library-wise and stuff like that, you're pretty much good to go across pretty much any modern Linux. Oh, sure. So if I package it into the bundle. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, that is the Mac model, right? That's how it works on yeah. Mac. Everything is statically linked. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can pretty much – you, you could pretty much run on almost any Linux kernel probably since 2.x. Uh, but um, if you wanted to be able to dynamically link to current libraries, so what Steam does, for example, is Steam has a Steam runtime where they just have uh, the Ubuntu libraries available. Or you know, a lot of, uh, we Noah and I were just talking about this on last on Sunday. Is more and more projects that we're talking about on the show are just being bundled with Docker images, and people Ooh. are just they're composing Docker images and then they're just distributing them as Docker images. Uh, we just did we just talked about Rocket Chat and and Discourse. Huge open source projects. They're they're one of their default methods of distribution now. It's just a Docker right. image. Docker, wow. Yeah, it, it looks interesting. It does look like it's in a state of flux. I mean, one thing I got from, you know, like everything on the command line was as I expected. Awesome. Um, all of the like Ubuntu specific stuff was pretty bad. Yeah, especially I mean, I, the I, App Store. I I, 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 I took a yeah. look at the Software Center and I just kind of said, okay, well now. Um, you know, I, I initially like the thing where I type, you know, control or command or whatever it is. I think, let me, you know, okay, it's the Windows key on my keyboard. Yeah, but super whatever. key. Um, and I can do, you know, kind of like their version of Spotlight, which is the search thing. But the behavior has not been super consistent. Yeah, yeah. It does spot. get better. It does. Okay. Yeah, it will. Uh, okay, I've got to ask you, though. I mean, you're on pretty old hardware. Uh, given so all things considered, what do you think of the performance? That's the big highlight. Like, this this little tiny-ass Dell Tower was doing nothing beforehand, and now it is a totally viable dev workstation. Isn't that – that feels cool, right? Uh, yeah. And I'm it's doing, powerful, too. You can tell there's power under the hood. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing the majority of my non-Apple development on this workstation. So if I'm at my office, I'm using the Dell, unless I'm doing something, you know, Apple-specific. Yeah, Mike is 68 pointing out, and I didn't know – I don't know what the details are, but in 1604, so the next LTS they're developing, the one that I installed on my uh, – Purism 15, they're getting away with the software store and they're going to use the GNOME software store, which is much cleaner. Uses uh, GNOME software is available like on Anagros and other dis- and Fedora. Fedora uses the GNOME software store to pretty much do all of its updates and everything. Uh, and it's essentially it's it's more cleaner, limp, it's trimmed down app store. Okay, so they're they're, they're kind of giving up on. Yes. Uh, For now, yeah. I think I think if I think if their whole convergence thing takes off and they have a good store, you know, some good apps to show off, you know, they, like if if you're on the if you get an Ubuntu Touch phone now, the app stores are not bad. On it's a totally different experience, right. and it, they could they could probably build on top of that for the desktop. 
I would see that. I could see that coming. Yeah, I, I think Unity 8.5 or something like that is going to be something to talk about. I think it's going to be a rough transition, but right. they, you know, you know, if nothing else, they for their next desktop iteration, they've chosen some really sound technologies, and I've already used some of that in practice on actual devices in the real world, albeit at Linux conventions, but in the real world, and it's already... Like I guess, I guess to underscore, they already have a whole new app store where you can go find apps and install them. That's already a thing that exists. So I, I would imagine for them to replace the software center in a year or two on the desktop is not that far. It's going to be it's not that yeah, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of and sense. And then you're probably going to and and at that point, you know, it's probably going to be snap packages, and it's going to be a much better situation. Fair. And it could be, you know. It could be really good timing. It actually might not be too late. I'm not super impressed where we're, with where Apple is taking the desktop and their their desktop applications. Um, you know, you know, even guys like Walt Mossberg now are calling them out. And well, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that it's ever going to be that third. third I, I actually wonder. You know why? Because wonder. because Linux can literally afford to wait a hundred years, literally. So it, like there's no there's no there's there's no company revenue to report like if it takes a hundred years it it doesn't matter it so does twenty sixteen the year of desktop limit no i mean it, maybe maybe it's twenty one o two but it, but the code is gpl it's going to continue okay. to evolve forever eventually okay. i mean i like there's there's nowhere for it to go but eventually everywhere. And you mock me except for you look at the server infrastructure and now you look at what's happening to software-defined networking. Linux is taking over there too. And you look at the mobile market and Linux is completely taken over there. It eventually will happen on the desktop too. It just could take 100 years. <laughs> um, you think so? <laughs> I don't, maybe. I'm going to report on it as long as I can. I hope it takes a while because otherwise I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> I, I don't. Twenty one sixteen, the year of the I, desktop I, I for Linux. Linux is in a way <laughs> one because of you know the whole server thing. Yeah, but that sound. It just sounds like you had a little bit of a psychotic break. Oh, good. I, well, it feels good. It feels very. I feel like I had a lot of endorphins released when I yeah, talked about you, it. Yeah, you kind of uh, Howard Deaned on that one. You were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's uh, nice. Yeah. You just dated yourself. Now listen, I'm not saying. I, I guess what I, I guess what I am saying is eventually Tim Cook is going to oh. get old and loopy, and he's going to combine the iPad and the MacBook. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is, is senility your strategy here? Like one yeah. day, everyone at Apple will go senile. I'm and talking. Then- I'm talking. So you see. See, this is this is the joke. Is everybody's always like, "Oh, it's the year of the Linux desktop." <laughs> no, it's going to be. It's literally going to be the decade of the Linux desktop. And decade. The decade. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be the decade of the Linux desktop, and I'll tell you why. Because everybody's got to make some money. Everybody's got skin in the game, except for Linux. Linux doesn't have to make a dime. Linux doesn't have to go anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter what people, what the stock market is doing. Doesn't matter if there's a recession. Doesn't matter what the cost of oil. Doesn't matter if they have billions offshore. Doesn't matter any of it, because it's open source. It's already out there, and the x86 processor has been around for so long. There's always going to be for hundreds of years. I would guarantee it. I would guarantee it. For the next 200 years, there will be some form of an x86 processor running Linux, and I would be willing to make the bet in 200 years there will not be an x86 processor running windows freaking 10 or mac os yosemite or whatever beach they want to go with at the time 
it's just my that's my bet. I would be willing to put money on that because it, it is literally it is literally the difference between the GPL and the commercial uh, the commercial licenses. I'm not saying it's going to be huge, but it's definitely going to be around for a very 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 long time. You know, it, it, it does kind of sound like your argument basically. I don't even. I don't even know where to go with this. I mean, negative in the freedom dimension. Yeah. So, so is, is, is there some sort of like Linux patient? Am I Linux patient? Zero? No. Like, is there like a pandemic? You're, you're yeah. It's a this? slow. It is a slow. Look at the rest of the technology industry. Just it's like look the at Walking it. Dead for penguins. I you know, mean, I mean, the thing's only been around since the '90s, and look at it. Okay, but I mean, I will give you in a hundred years. I, I I can assure you, Windows 10 won't be around. Yeah, and neither will OS 10. But but you think like people are like, oh, Ubuntu, yes. I don't know about Ubuntu, but it might be Linux kernel version sixty four or something like that. But I think uh, AI. Haven't don't you listen to Elon Musk at all? AI is just going to kill us soon. All right, it'd probably be running <laughs> Linux. Look at the oh, reality. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so uh, we got to talk about Andrew. Andrew oh. wrote into the show and he says, "Hi all, uh, I'm one of the developers that maybe." writer would be aimed at, I think. I've been developing on Linux and various languages since 98. However, a year ago, I started working for a company that does .NET and MVMC. .NET is similar enough to Java that the switch over wasn't too bad, but unlike Java, the C-sharp documentation is so piss poor that you need an IDE. Visual Studio is okay, but unless a lot of RAM and ReSharper only adds to this. Additionally, sometimes the debugger doesn't attach correctly with Visual Studio. He's concerned about the overhead of using Visual Studio. And issues with NTFS and IIS aside, I would love to work in my project on Linux. I'd have to do a bit of work to get it working on .NET 4.6 and remove Windows-specific code. I started down this path previously, but had to stop because... Visual Studio Requirements. C-sharp is a really good language, and it's easy to use slash learn. But I would love to ditch Windows. I guess it really depends on if I can just load a Visual Studio solution. Thanks for the great show, Andrew. So we were kind of like, who is this targeted at last week? I think it's Andrew right there, right? I mean... Is it kind of the guy who's like, I think there's people out there like this. And you're like, I'm not so sure. And I was like, oh, you're probably right. And Andrew writes in. He says, you know what? I want to write C Sharp and I want to write it on Linux. Huh? Okay. Huh? Andrew, okay. Andrew's my man. He knows what's so, up. So in response to this email, I actually ended up looking at like uh, .NET Core on GitHub and some of the documentation there. If you are doing uh, ASP5 or ASP MVC5, apparently that is a super viable thing to do. There you go. There you go. There you go. If you would like to email us, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, choose Coda Radio from the dropdown, or go to codaradio.reddit.com. That's also where we'd love to get content ideas. Codaradio.reddit.com. Comments, votes, they all make a difference. And a lot of difference, actually. Go there and let us know what you'd like to see. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send the audience throughout the week to follow up and check up on you? Just go to uh, follow me on Twitter, at Dumanuko. All right. Sure. All right, follow me on Twitter, at Chris Elias. Join us live Mondays. We do the show noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. And you know, we got a 1-800 number working now. Maybe we'll take calls soon. Rekai's off next week. Anything is possible. Join us live and find out. jblive.tv. See you next uh, week. Desktop Linux, not possible. <laughs>